0: I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Psalm 1 this morning. Psalm 1. We concluded last week our look at Christmas in the Old Testament, as we looked at several well-known uh, Old Testament prophecies and passages concerning the birth of Christ. And before we jump back into the Gospel of Mark, which we are on uh, on the home stretch, in we're going to have a couple weeks here in the beginning of the book of Psalms. So we're going to look at Psalm 1 this week and then Psalm 2 next week. They are actually companion psalms. Um, Many uh, scholars believe that this was actually one psalm at one point, and it has been cut in half. Uh, But we see a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same words used together, Uh, and they work together kind of as a preface or an introduction to the book of Psalms. So we'll be looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 this week. And next, before we pray, just want to encourage you uh, as the new year starts uh, to it's a great opportunity to reset and refocus. You know, nothing really magical happened from December 31st to January 1st, right? It's the day just changed, the year changed. But it is a good opportunity for us to think and to reset and to refocus. Uh, it's good to have those times in our lives, and this is a natural one. So uh, perhaps you've been wavering in your time in the Word or wanting to get into reading the Bible more, it's a great opportunity to set that, that kind of reset and do that. There's several Bible reading schedules in the back. Uh, there's three different ones uh, that just kind of have a little different emphasis or a little different approach. So pick one of those up. Um, there's nothing magical about reading through the Bible in a year. It's great. I think everybody should do it at some point. But what's more important than reading through the Bible in a year is just reading the Bible. Uh, So if you take just the New Testament and read through the New Testament this year or say, I'm just going to do the Gospels or maybe just Psalms and Proverbs or the first five books, uh, the emphasis we want is for you to be in the Word because that's what God uses to change us. Uh, The living Word is expressed through the written Word to reveal to us God's will for us and how He wants us to live in the plan of redemption. So please... Grab something in the back if that reading schedule will be a tool. Otherwise, uh, let's start off the year in the right foot like we're going to be doing now in God's Word. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship you. Lord, I pray as we come to your Word this morning that we would humbly submit ourselves to it. This is not man's idea. This is not a collection of wisdom that's been gathered together from different sources throughout the years, but rather... It's your divine revelation. It's you revealing yourself to us and your will and your plan to us. And Lord, the history of redemption from the fall to calling out a people, to seeing them failing, but yet you, Lord, staying faithful and sending your own son to redeem not only Israel, Lord, but anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in him. Lord, I pray that we be challenged and encouraged by your word this morning. We pray in your son's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, open to Psalm 1. It's on page 448 in the Pew Bible. I'll read Psalm 1 for us this morning. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. but the way of the wicked will perish. A new year, opportunity to reset, to start over. Perhaps some of you have written down your resolutions already. Some of you have might have already failed in one or two of your resolutions already, right? As you think of a, a new year and your pattern of life and things that maybe you want to change or get better at, I think this is a good start for us because it's a reminder for us of where we set our heart, where we set our affections, what we delight in, and how that affects so much of how we live our lives. The things that we put in our minds, the people that we spend time with, the, the activity of our hands reveals much about where our delight and our affections are. I remember. Uh, in elementary school, going to basketball games or volleyball games that my sister was playing in. Or let's be honest, and if she listens to this, she would say the same thing. She was sitting on the bench at, uh, she wasn't maybe the best athlete, but she loved being part of the team. And I remember getting to the game and eating my one snack that my mom brought, asking for money for the concession stand 18 times and being turned down all of those 18 times. Finally, I would say to my mom, can I go out in the hallway? I see some kids out there. And the first question that she would always ask me is, well, what kids? Who's out there? What are they doing? Now, why did she ask that? Because she would what I was going to get into? What kind of influence the kids may have had on me? And were they maybe known troublemakers? Was I going to get into something that wouldn't be good? Because where I was going or wanted to be, I would have been affected by the people around me, by the kids around me. And I might have affected them, but who I was surrounding myself with may not have been the best. As we come to Psalm 1, we see this distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous and the evil. And the psalmist lays out for us That the one who is righteous, in a sense, does not pattern his life after those who are wicked. But how does this happen? What is is the, the heart attitude? What is the aim of the man who is blessed that keeps him from joining in those who are wicked? What's the difference? What sets them apart? In a sense, you have... Two categories of people here in this psalm, and you're either in one group or the other. What sets them apart? And it really comes down to this. Where do we set our affections? What do we delight in? What do we desire? Our big idea from Psalm 1 this morning is this, is that setting our affections on God through his word, results in blessedness. Results in blessedness. Setting our affections, our desires, our delights. And that's what that term affection means. You might hear that term and you think of maybe the Disney love or they're affectionate towards one another. But affection is a term that's used by theologians and writers in the church through the the centuries to describe what you want, what you desire. What you delight in. So, setting our affections, our desires, our motives, our motivations on something, setting our affections on God, not just on God, but on God through his revealed word, results in being part of those who are righteous, those who are blessed, we will see here. But how do we know that we have set our affections on God through his word? Psalm 1 gives us three evidence that we are delighting in God and his word. And the contrast is stark. These things that the righteous do versus the result of those who are wicked. It's in where we place our affections, what we delight in. and When we delight in God's word, we see the result. So we're gonna look together here at these six verses and see three evidences that we have set our affections on God through his word and in a sense have been Come, that blessed man. That blessed man. Again, Psalm 1 and 2 are introductions to the Psalms. And they lay the foundation of approaching life through setting our affections on God. So whether we have times of great rejoicing, there's a psalm for that. If there's a time when you are down in the dumps and you think God is nowhere near to you and that you hate life, there's a psalm for you in that as well because they speak to the whole range of human emotion and human experience but it all stems from these first two psalms where we set our affection so first off our first point we know we have evidence that we have set our affection on god through his word because we heed truth we heed truth the beginning of psalm one introduces this man Blessed is the man, right? And this man, there's some discussion as to, well, who is this man? Do we know? Is it a specific individual? I think by reading this psalm, we understand that this is kind of, it's, uh, it's, it's an individual who's set up as an image or as an, as a, an, uh, 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 an identifying individual. This is, in a sense, the perfect man. This is, blessed is this righteous man. And you might think, well, none of us are righteous. We know that. Well, yes, absolutely. But this is the pattern we are to follow. And ultimately, if you follow that flow of thinking to its end, we could say that this man is Jesus. He is the one who does all this perfectly. But it's this example, this pattern that we are to follow. So blessed is the man. That term blessed could be translated as happy. But it's more than just a passing happiness. It's a settled contentment of God's activity in your life. You are are blessed. You are receiving God's grace. The person who does these things is a receiving of God's blessing. Now, we understand we don't earn our salvation through our good works, and just because we obey God doesn't mean he's going to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. But there is an overarching pattern to where when you heed the word of God, there is fruit and blessing that flows from that. It doesn't mean your checking account's going to go up and all your health problems are going to go away. But just as any parent is thankful that a child obeys them and listens to their commands, so does our Heavenly Father. Blessed is the man who does what? We have a bunch of negative things. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We have three uh, verbs here. Walks, stands, sits. It's kind of this progression, right? You walk by something and your, uh, your, inter- your interest is peaked. Oh. And then you come back and all of a sudden you're standing by it, checking it out. Then all of a sudden, you sit down and you participate. <laughs> this past week, we went to Pizza Ranch in Cedar Falls, and there is a big arcade at that Pizza Ranch. And it is designed to attract the eyes of a five-year-old and a seven, seven-year-old. And we have one of each in our family. And they could barely get through their pizza fast enough before they said, can we just, can we just go look? We're like, we, we don't have any change. We're not going to... Play in the arcade games? No. Well, can we just walk through? Ugh. Okay, we'll finish eating, and then we can just walk and look at all the, the games and stuff. And so then we, we walk in. Okay, well, yeah, see the games? It's kind of cool. All the, the neon and the lights. And all of a sudden then, there are three of them standing around one of the games, pushing the buttons. Do you have any quarters, Dad? No, I already told you. Then all of a sudden, I look over, and there's Ezra. Seated in I don't know if it was a racing game or some game that had a chair, acting like he was playing the game. And it was it was amazing. It was like here's a perfect illustration of <laughs> Psalm 1. Can we just go see it? Well, I'm just looking now, I'm just standing by it, and all of a sudden I look over and they're seated there in the chair trying to play the game. This process is the idea of, of being around, of living your life in a certain circumstance or a sphere of influence. And the blessed man, the righteous man, does not walk, stand, or sit, does not live his pattern of life through the counsel of the wicked or the way of sinners or in the seat of scoffers. These are all synonyms. Wicked, sinner, scoffer. They are people set against God's truth. And we see that the man who is who is righteous or who's blessed, does not associate, does not listen, does not heed, does not follow the pattern of these individuals. Rather, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He heeds the truth of the word of God. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This could refer to the Torah, the first five books, or maybe the Ten Commandments, But as we look back, we can understand and associate this with all of God's word. The blessed man, the righteous man, delights in the word of God. He heeds the truth of God's word. He doesn't listen to sinners, to the wicked, to the scoffers who mock God and his word. But his delight, his desire, his affection is on the word of God. And we see this played out then on the fact that he meditates day and night. On his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditates, you might have heard it as, of of chewing over and over again, like a cow chews the cud. Literally, it's, uh, it's an animalistic mumbling. It's like somebody who walks around constantly, always, you know, talking about something, like kind of like a crazy person. Uh, My mom would do that. She'd be up in the kitchen, mumbling, talking to herself. She's going to listen to this. I'll probably get a text this afternoon from her. Uh, But we always called her crazy because she's talking to herself again and again. And it's like, who's in there with you? No one. (laughs) But that's the idea of this word meditate. It's this constant uh, thinking over and talking about and rehearsing again and again. And so the righteous man delights in the word of God. And he does this by continually rehearsing the truth of God and his word to himself. Now, this doesn't mean that the righteous man only reads his Bible and does nothing else throughout the day. But rather, every avenue, every arena of life is impacted and is seen through the word of God. So delighting in the word of God means that when you spend time with family, you meditate on God's word and, okay, how how does how does God's word call me to interact with my family? Or maybe you're on your way to work and you're meditating on God's word, saying, Lord, help me to do a, a good job today that brings you honor and glory. Lord, how can I redeem the time at work to speak to my coworkers about the gospel? We see God's influence and impact in every arena of life when we meditate on God's word. And we listen to his truth. We heed the truth of God's word. The man who does this is blessed, is a righteous one. And so we heed not the truth of the wicked and the sinners and scoffers, sinners and scoffers but those words that come from God. And this is important because sometimes that wicked sinner or scoffer is your own heart. We say, I don't like this, therefore I am allowed to act this way. No. (laughs) When we heed the truth of God in his word, we look at our own heart, we look at our own desires and motivations and emotions, and we say, okay, this is what the sinner and scoffer and wicked person in me is saying. But I know the truth of God's word, and I'm not going to listen to this, but I'm going to Heed the truth of God's word. And that's a discipline you have to practice. When you are treated a certain way and you feel like you have the right to be mean or angry back to that person, we are listening to the sinner and the scoffer and the wicked. We're not heeding the truth of God's word. When something is hard or difficult and we say, well, I feel justified in acting this way. And that way is contrary to God's word. We're listening to the sinner and the scoffer and the wicked. But the righteous man, the man who is blessed, takes those thoughts and brings them under control by the word of God. We heed it. We delight in it. We meditate on it. And though our sinful flesh says, no, I want to act this way, we say, no, through the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to respond this way with the truth of God and his word. We see the difference. This delight continues to grow as we meditate again and again on the word of God. It's a taste that you acquire. It's constantly on your lips. Have you ever done something that you didn't like or weren't uh, particularly fond of, and then the more you did it, the more you liked it? That's anybody who's ever drank coffee. Nobody drinks their first cup of coffee and says, this is the most amazing thing in the world. No, that's like after like your 1,000th cup of coffee, and you're like, oh, this is so good. And you have people who don't drink it think, no, you're just crazy. <laughs> we develop a taste for it, and we want it more and more and more. Same thing with the word of God. Blessed is the man who doesn't follow the way of the wicked and the sinner and the scoffer and heed their truth, but who meditates on the word of God and delights in it. When we heed truth, it's an evidence that we have set our affection upon God and not upon the wickedness of the world. Secondly, we have set our affections on God through his word when we bear fruit. Verse two, the psalmist continues and he continues this contrast. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So this is an imagery of a tree. Pastor James and I recently read a book and uh, it's, Uh, the author is a fan of being outside and enjoying creation. And he talks about trees a lot and different trees that he remembers from when he was young until he's old. And some of you might have a tree like that at Grandma and Grandpa's place that always had the tree swing or the tree that you used to climb or the tree that you carved your initials in with your sweetheart, you know. But a tree is something that we are all aware of. And you can tell the tree is healthy by when its leaves come out. They are full and green. And it bears fruit, whether it's nuts or fruit itself. A tree planted by streams of water would have adequate nutrients. It would have the water it needs and the the resources in the ground that it would be a healthy, vibrant tree. And it's healthy not only because it's planted by the streams, but it yields fruit in its season. It yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It's not affected by drought. It's not affected by uh, by circumstances that are difficult, but rather it is healthy and vibrant and green. So sure that comes to our minds. And then he throws in this phrase: In all that he does, he prospers. The he here is this man who is blessed. He is like a tree. He's like a healthy, vibrant living organism that does what it's supposed to do, to bear fruit, to propagate itself. And here he says in all that he does, in every way of life, he prospers. Now some could take this verse or part of this verse and say, well, if you have truly heeding and listening to the word of God, you're gonna prosper in whatever you do. That's called the prosperity gospel. And that is a false teaching. That says that if you truly follow Jesus Christ, no matter what you want, no matter what you do, God is going to give you abundant prosperity through it. So if you are poor and you want to be rich, well, you just need to improve your faith. If you own a small business and it's not doing well, it's because your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't as good as it should be. You have difficult relationships in your life, well, it's because your your faith is lacking. All that puts the emphasis upon man <laughs> and is contrary to God's word, the, the, uh, the whole of God's word. But what is the author saying here? It, he's saying here is that he prospers as a tree does, that he, it follows the proper course of creation, that as we are created in God's image, we prosper. And how do we prosper? We prosper by bringing glory to God. How do you know that you are a faithful, fruitful Christian? You bring glory to God through whatever arena or avenue of life that that involves. And sometimes that means bringing glory to God when life is hard and relationships are difficult and things are lacking. Or it means that you bring glory to God when things are great. Hopefully your minds go to Philippians 4 and Paul, he says, I've, you know, I've been, uh, how to abound and be brought low in any and every circumstance. I can do all things. I can give God glory because of Jesus Christ. This person is like a tree who bears fruit. And what is this fruit? It's, it's bringing glory to God, of honoring Him. We bear fruit. But the contrast is stark in verse 4 The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. It's empty, it's dead, it's extra. You, you winnow it out. It's really not good for anything. You throw it up in the air so the wind blows it away, right? Stuff that you don't want. Growing up, we lived a couple blocks from the grain elevator in our small town, and when it was harvest season and they'd be bringing grain in to dry, there would be this accumulation of of chaff, basically, in the streets. My dad always called them beeswings, uh, from the corn and the beans. And they would just gather because of the way that the wind, it would blow it down the road to our house and it would, it would gather up. And I would try and light it on fire, you know, things like that. Um, that maybe probably wasn't the wisest thing, but uh, it was just this, this dust, this extra that was just blown off. It had no purpose. It was dead. And this is what the wicked are like. The righteous man... Who sets his affection upon God is like a tree that has everything that it needs, that follows the course of creation, that bears fruit, that prospers and brings glory to its creator, where the wicked are like chaff that the wind just drives away. Worthless. We bear fruit. When we set our affections upon God, through his word, we bear fruit. First and foremost, the fruit of the Spirit. From Galatians 5. Ask someone close to you, do you see these things in me and list off the fruit of the Spirit? Maybe there's one or two that might be lacking in your cluster of fruit. Lord, help me to be more patient, to be more kind, to be more gentle. Or perhaps that is one of your strengths and it's a very clear indication that you've set your affections upon the Lord for you are demonstrating this fruit this imagery of a tree and a growing thing is used by Jesus several times. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Again, we see when we heed truth and when we bear fruit, we demonstrate that we have set our affections upon God and His Word. And this imagery of a tree and This stream. let me ask you this question. Do people come to you for refreshment and encouragement? Or do you suck the life out of people? I think we can all think of people that fit either of those descriptions. Somebody who's just a life giver, who speaks the word of God, who's an encouragement, who brings life in a sense. Or somebody who no matter how many times you're around them, they just bring you down. And they zap your energy. And they, they just, they have an outlook upon life which is not set upon God and his word. Are you one of those by chance? You need to reset your affections to where you seek to be a tree that bears fruit, to bring glory to God by encouraging others. So we heed truth, we bear fruit. And lastly, in verses five and six, we receive life. We receive life. The five evidence here is setting our affections on God is that we receive life. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the ultimate end of these two individuals, the wicked and the righteous. The wicked will be judged. They will, be, they will perish, verse six says. They will not stand, in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's the idea that as Christ returns and, and calls for his own, they are not found in that group. They are separated. And they ultimately perish. That's, the idea is, is judge. They will be judged. They will be given death, eternal death. They will perish. The condemnation of the wicked is their ultimate end. Death is the reward And I think that's important because as we read Psalm 1 and we think, okay, this is the way of the righteous, the way of the blessed man, and the way of the wicked, but I look at the world and I see a lot of wicked people who have it a lot better off than me. Right? There's a lot of people out there who do not know Jesus Christ and you look at their life and there's part of you that say, oh, if I could just have a little slice of that. (laughs) You know, these billionaires have hundreds of billions of dollars if they, you know, two million to this, you know, to this family in Horton, Iowa, they wouldn't even know, wouldn't even notice, right? Or how come the people who don't even know Jesus have all this influence and power and, and this control and, and those who are seeking to heed the word of God, we are, we're marginalized and we're pushed down and we are, we're called names and we're, we're, we're mocked and ridiculed and If we look at those circumstances and situations and say, oh, if I just had a little bit of this, we neglect the truth of God's word, and particularly the end of Psalm 1 or Psalm 73, where their ultimate end, the wicked's ultimate end, is that they perish, that they are destroyed, that they are judged. This is an encouragement to those who seek to live a life of righteousness, to set their affections upon the word of God, the ultimate end of the wicked is judgment, and the ultimate end of those who set their hearts upon God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. Eternal life. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He sees your life when you are struggling and you are striving through the help of of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, to live a life that honors God, that is hard and difficult, but you say, God, help me to live a life this way. He sees you. He knows your life. It's not in vain. Just the other day, I had a conversation with a mom through email. Life is hard. Kids are hard, whether they're young or they're teenagers, trying to love them and encourage them in the Word and and think, Ah, it's hard. Yes, it is hard. But God knows and God sees and God loves you and God God helps you and remember the ultimate end that when you set your heart upon God and his word and seek to live it out, there is blessing. There is fruit. There is life. It is worth it to endure the difficulties and the, the terrible circumstances and the ridicule of the wicked. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He sees His own and He gives them life, eternal and abundant life. He establishes the righteous forever. So be warned. As these two individuals are presented for us, we have the wicked and the righteous. One is a way of life, of bearing fruit, of being blessed. And one, though it may appear that way, the ultimate end is destruction and death and judgment. Don't think that the wicked will escape without being judged. Humble yourself before the Lord and choose eternal abundant life over temporal, pleasurable wickedness. What are you setting your heart on? Are you setting your heart on God and his word or the wicked way of sinners around us? This doesn't mean that there aren't joys and wonderful things associated with following after God. I think you enjoy things more when you see them through the lens of God and his word. I didn't really come to know this until I spent some time in a previous church with several of the pastors there who have seen this. And just conversations with them, sitting down to a meal and enjoying food of enjoying conversation, of enjoying laughter, of enjoying time spent with fellow believers in Jesus Christ. There's not a check associated with that. There's not political power associated with that. There's not clout and reputation associated with that. But God's blessing is associated with that. So as we start a new year and as we think of starting out on the right foot, have you set your affections upon God and through his word to receive that blessing of being a follower of his? Are you following the way of the wicked? God knows. He sees and he blesses. And as we live our lives, we can say, God is good. He is worth it. I delight in him. All glory be to Christ. God's help in 2023, may we set our affections on God through his word and enjoy his goodness and his blessing that only comes from him. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning and to remind ourselves of, Lord, that through your word, through delighting in you and who you are, Lord, that there is blessing. It may not look as the world would think of blessing or even as maybe we anticipate, Lord, but through your grace and the good things you give us, Lord, we are blessed. Not because we deserve it, not because it's something that we manufacture, but because of who you are Lord, and how you call us to live for you. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.